everybody. Welcome back to the PFN Scouting Podcast. I'm your host, Dalton Miller, joined, as always, by my co-host, Ian Cummings. He has a little bit different scenery going on. We will ask him about that in a second. But we have got to talk about Caleb Williams, what happened last week against Notre Dame, and what could happen this week against Utah as USC plays another quality opponent, another good defense that has danger lurking at the second and third levels. But as always, I got to ask first, Ian, how are you doing? Doing good, man. Had a half day yesterday. Decided to take a little day trip in the hotel, as you can see. Uh, neglected to pack my microphone. So to the listeners out there, I apologize if the audio quality is a little bit uh, inferior than usual. I think it's okay. It's coming in okay. But yeah, man, mm-hmm. a lot of football uh, to go over from this past week. A lot of really great games. But you mentioned it. I mean, the top story is Caleb Williams threw three interceptions in the first half. Against Notre Dame, he bounced back a little bit in the second half, but we still saw a few if he plays. And the thing that we've been talking about, right, you know, this whole QB1 conversation, one guy might be a little bit better in structure right now. And Caleb Williams, I feel like we saw, you know, those minor flaws that we'd referenced before really got put under the microscope and exacerbated against that Notre Dame defense, well-coached, flying to the football putting a ton of pressure on him and that was the result so I feel like we got to start off with that you you led us into it great but uh, there, there's so many different angles to cover because Caleb Williams is I think you know looking at prospects over the last five to ten years might have the biggest media imprint of all of them I mean the hype around this guy is absurd so it's tough to parse through it sometimes but let's just get right into the diagnostics man that Notre Dame game what happened <laughs> honestly yeah, yeah. so um, we've obviously written a lot about Caleb Williams at this point. You've taken a couple of different angles this week. I took an angle before the game, and it turned out to be fantastic timing because mm-hmm. I talked about some of the downsides of his game, and, and I really looked at it in the lens of the ESPN article that came out. Uh, Matt Miller did a fantastic job getting a bunch of quotes from NFL personnel, scouts, GMs, coaches, the lot. And... The general consensus was that this guy is a, a an Andrew Luck, Peyton Manning level prospect, and he's on the level, if not better, than Trevor Lawrence and Joe Burrow. And it's just not true. It's just not true. And I understand that we always want the new thing to be the best thing. And I understand, and this is what I wrote about, we go traits hunting. And every once in a while, it shifts. What is the trait today that everybody is looking for. It's that creation ability. And there's no denying that Caleb Williams is one of the best that we have seen in that area. He's not Patrick Mahomes because Mahomes is on a completely different planet. He's not human. But Caleb Williams is as close to Patrick Mahomes in that respect as it gets. And it's not just the physical ability. It's the vision that he has in those situations to be able to distribute the ball to his receivers with that elasticity in his arm and the athleticism that he possesses. But where a lot of people fail to realize or what a lot of people fail to realize is that that is like 30% of quarterbacking at most. And you need to be able to survive and not just survive, but thrive on a down to down basis. And that is not something that when faced with normal pressure and listen, Notre Dame got to him a lot. That was not normal pressure. That was like normal Drake may pressure that we're used to seeing but very much more pressure than you are used to seeing from quarterbacks. But what what I saw was the same kind of thing that I saw against Oregon State a season ago when they just said, hey, we're going to set five, six guys the entire time. We're going to play man coverage behind him, and we're going to make him beat us. And eventually, he ended up beating them. 
That is not what happened with Notre Dame. Notre Dame a little bit schematically better than that Oregon State defense and more talented, and they were able to take the ball away from him at a high rate in that first half. I still think that he is the best quarterback prospect in this draft class. I still think that this draft class of, of, of quarterbacks is fantastic overall. I still think that he should be the first pick. I still think that Drake May is a top five pick, top three pick in the NFL draft. I think that this senior class is outstanding. But he is not on the level of Trevor Lawrence because he is not nearly as complete of a quarterback prospect as Trevor Lawrence or Joe Burrow for that matter. And I understand if you want to bet on the athletic upside, the creation ability, and the thought that, hey, we can teach him to survive and to thrive on a down-to-down basis. But he has the uncoachable things that Joe Burrow doesn't. I'm okay if you want to take him over Joe Burrow for that reason. But Trevor Lawrence has the creation ability. He has the pocket manipulation. He has the accuracy. He has the arm. And he has the athleticism to go out and create with his arm and with his legs. He was a complete prospect. And he was the second coming after his freshman season when he won the national championship. He was a better prospect from start to finish. And he was not in the the, the Lincoln-Riley offense. So that's my rant. With Caleb Williams, he's a fantastic prospect, but he is not near perfect, and we need to stop acting like he is perfect. Yeah, I mean, the creation tools are so easy to gravitate to in the modern NFL, Mm -hmm. and the Patrick Mahomes comparison is always the one that people rush to, right? Because he's the guy who's really patenting it. You look at, you know, being able to throw off platform, being able to adjust your arm angles, you know, maintain velocity while you're doing it. That's Mahomes. That's what he does. That's what he's trademarked at this point. Anytime you see a quarterback do it, you think Mahomes. That's where your mind goes back to. So that's why Williams, it's always the first guy that they come back to. But, you know, there's the tools for creation. There's the tools that allow you to do that. And then there's the control and discipline and, you know, the processing ability that you need to maximize that. You mentioned Mahomes is a wizard, not just with that creation ability, but, you know, with the processing, the decision making. He always knows what the right thing to do is, right? Even when, you know, those high leverage situations where he's getting flushed out to the right, the pressure's coming, the defense is closing in. He's still hyper aware. He's still very measured with his decision making. And I think what we saw on Saturday is that Caleb Williams, you know, hey, he diced up Colorado. Great. You know, I think this was the, really the first time in a long time that he's played a team that had the talent that was well coached, that was playing incredibly fast and physical, and they put the pressure on him, right? And you know, it's not that he can't evade pressure, right? He's got the creation ability, but hey, he gets out of the pocket. There's nothing there. He's trying to force things too. Like there was that one throw where he got flushed out to his left. He had an open outlet, and he tries to force something, right? So it's those things. When Mahomes gets flushed out, he knows where his checkdown is. You know, even when he's you know creating space and creating time, he's not trying to force the big play all the time. And I think that's still where Williams is growing. You know, just take what's given, and in those situations, don't make a bad loss worse, right? So I think the maturity is not quite there yet in that aspect. He was still a great prospect for sure, and I think some of the la- the uh, flashes of creation ability that we saw, you know, the evasion ability, you know, he was creating time, but it's just. The decision-making that goes off of that, forcing too many throws, trying to go for the big play, the discipline and control that he needs to maximize that high-level creation ability is still not there to the degree that you know it's been advertised at times. So you mentioned it, great prospect, very talented prospect, but quarterback play is, you know, there's the physical element, but the mental element is so much more, you know, it's so much more dominant at the NFL level, right? Like you cannot just be a playmaker. You have to be a high level distributor and you have to be a high level decision maker. Caleb Williams is on his way. He's growing, 
But I think this game really showed us more than anything else. He's not there yet. And then you look at Drake May on the other side playing a Miami defense that has a ton of NFL talent, and he played very well. And he's keeping the offense in rhythm. He was making those short completions to move the chains when he needs to. You know, he's not – his internal clock is fast. He's getting the ball out quickly, but also making really good calculated risks downfield with Devontae Walker. So you look at that side by side, and you're thinking, you know, wait a minute, right? (laughs) Like this QB1 conversation, and it's something that we've talked about a lot. But I think this week was just more – confirmation like you can have Caleb Williams or Drake May as your QB1 but neither one is a wrong answer so you know it's a coin flip it always has been I think it's going to continue to be uh, but this week just kind of reinforced that yeah and I I, I like that you talked about being a distributor and that's a very important task as an NFL quarterback it's not flashy right it's not the thing that draws the eyes like what draws the eyes is sidestepping two defenders you know John you know firing that 40 yard laser off platform right like that's great and it's great that you can do that but you mentioned it distribution is how you keep the offense moving how you put points on the board and how you win and a a general manager in in miller's piece for the espn he said caleb williams is a difference maker and trevor lawrence and joe burrow are distributors first of all claiming that trevor lawrence isn't a playmaker or that that joe burrow is not a playmaker Mm -hmm. is ridiculous it's an opinion for sure um, but distributing, I wrote it in here, it's over half of an NFL game is just distributing, making the correct decisions. But I wanted to ask you, I have a quote here from somebody that I, I wanted to ask you who this player was. What he does as a thrower and as a runner is exactly where the league is right now. An NFL scouting director told Miller. He throws some of those 50-50 balls with his shoulders square to the defense after running around in the pocket. And I'm seeing Mahomes at Texas Tech all over again. Who, what quarterback is that written about? I want to say Zach Wilson. It's Zach yeah. Wilson. Yeah. Okay. How's that turned out, guys? Not very How good. has being able to create throwing 50-50 balls turned out for Zach Wilson so far? And it's just the obsession that we have with a singular trait and our collective ability to ignore the rest of the game. So, with that said... Let's move on and let's move on to Drake May, but not just Drake May, because I want to get into Tez Walker as well. In my opinion, the best story in college football Uh is Tez Walker and coming back onto the field, not just coming back onto the field, but his decision to stick around when he was deemed ineligible, play on the scouting team, everything that he has done, you know, to this point to be ready and to try to learn the offense and to come in and have the impact that he is having already. What do you see from Tez Walker? Do you think he goes to the NFL level next season? Do you think that we have enough of a, or do you think we will have enough of a track record with him to really get a good feel for what he might be at the next level with so few games played? I think now that he's back, we will. Because he was very productive at Kent State before transferring to North mm-hmm. Carolina. I mean, he was a very good vertical threat. They played Georgia last year, and he tore them up, right? You know, you could tell that's kind of a barometer game for you. When you look at a, a small school guy from Kent State playing Georgia, you want to see if the athleticism matches up, right? And he's outrunning Georgia defensive backs at 6'3", 200. I mean, the size-speed combination is absurd, and we saw it again against Miami. You know, he's really, really good at stretching those spaces, creating separation just with his linear long strider speed. But then he can use some throttle adjustments too, right? He's got good zone awareness, and we saw that on one of his touchdowns, you know, that post over the middle. So, you know, I think he's got all the talent, right? That's the first box that you want to check. Does he have the talent to declare early if he if he wanted to, right? And I think 6'3", 200, elite speed, elite explosiveness, acceleration, that's all there. So that's a great box to check, especially for a wide receiver in the vertically oriented game. And I think 
you know, now that he's back, first off, I mean, like you said, great story. I mean, incredible because he transferred to be closer to his family and his grandmother, who's, you know, he wanted to help out, right? You know, and they didn't let him get on the field at first, man. That's got to be really tough mentally for a young player, you know, who's, yeah. who's going through a change of scenery. So, you know, I'm, I'm super happy that he was finally able to get on the field and now he's playing and thriving. It's just great to see. And, you know, you got Nate McCollum, wide receiver from Georgia Tech, who's more of a slot guy, but they can, they contrast with each other very well. And that North Carolina offense and Drake May is just dicing up defenses with those guys. So it's a fun combination to see. But in regards to Tez Walker, the size-speed combination is there. I think he's going to continue to be productive. And as long as he sustains this clip, even if he doesn't have you know a full 12-game slate this year, uh, to me, all the traits are there for him to at least command day two capital, at the very least. I mean, and I think when he tests, too, because you're looking at a guy who could run in the 4-3s, four 4-4s four at his size, uh, that's always going to play in the modern NFL. Yeah, and, and listen... <laughs> Speaking of guys who are six foot three, 200 pounds, we might as well talk about Troy Franklin and Romo yes, Dunze eh? because those two were outrageous. That entire game was just incredible on Saturday. I mean, yeah, yeah, it was a fantastic game from start to finish. And we will get into Michael Panix Jr. here in a second. And, and Bucky Irving is another guy that I need to talk about. But Troy Franklin and Romo Dunze, Franklin was pretty much MIA in the first half. And on Twitter, I said, you know, Romo Dunze is somebody who I've preferred over Troy Franklin for the entire process. And then Troy Franklin did the get dunked on liberal meme on me and went absolutely bonkers in the second half. I remember I was actually listen, scrolling through Twitter. I was refreshing, yeah. right? And then I just see that tweet and then right like 10 seconds later, big play. Troy it was Franklin. right after it was right afterwards. He had a huge first down catch over the middle of the field, and then he had the huge touchdown, the first huge touchdown. So, Troy Franklin, first of all, I think that he, when, when I look at him in, in Odonze, I, I see a more linear athlete, and it, it might be kind of like the Michael Penix thing with, you know, Penix is a lefty. I don't like the lefty motion. It looks awkward to me. When I see a guy who is six foot three, around 200 pounds, maybe a little bit less, wearing the number 11, it's just a bad aesthetic for me. I can't deal with that. And so when I look at him, he, he just reminds me of a little bit more linear of an athlete. I think that Odonze is the more complete player overall, although I do think that they are both very good players. I might be a little bit lower on both of them than I think a lot of people are, but this is a, a wide receiver class that is really much pick your poison. What do you like? What kind of archetype receiver do you prefer? They're not necessarily the types of receivers that I like, and in a class that has so many guys who are six foot two or six foot three or six foot four or six foot seven. Um, it is kind of tough to to look at one guy over another and be like, that guy is two two rounds better, in my opinion. When this other guy, who I also think is awesome, might go a hundred picks later. Yeah. So it, it's just it, it's a really difficult discussion to have. But those two dudes absolutely balled out in that game, and it was a ton of fun to watch two guys who I think are jockeying each other for draft capital in April have huge days in the biggest game of the season for each team. Yeah. And they were going back and forth too. I mean, this was like, you know, you know, all right, your turn, my turn, your turn, my turn, just passing it off, passing the baton each drive, man. And it's, it was so fun to watch the quarterbacks distributing it, but also the wide receivers making the plays because Roma Dunn's in particular, man, I mean, you know, I, I I feel like the um the Shaq meme. Like I, I apologize, I was not familiar with your game, right? Which I was, right? I mean, we were talking about it. 
he was in the conversation for my wide receiver five, right, with Troy Franklin. And we talked about why I preferred Franklin at the time when we had that conversation. But I'm seriously reconsidering that. Nadunze is moving up my board because, I mean, 6'3", 215 should not move as fluidly as he does, first off. Mm-hmm. He's definitely the smoother, more slippery athlete of the two. I think Troy Franklin is a little more explosive, a little bit faster in yeah. that linear mode, and that shows up. Uh, but Roma Dunze, man, is just so fluid uh, as a route runner, as a rack threat. But then, you know, where he made most of his money in this game was the catching instincts are incredible, right? It's a combination of timing, you know, body control, you know, having the vertical sense to rise at the right time, you know, not go too early to key in the defensive back. I mean, the patience, uh, the control, all of, all of those things, right? When you see all of those things, you know that you're looking at a wide receiver who is very comfortable in uncomfortable situations. And that's what Romo Dunze showed on Saturday in high pressure situations too. I mean, he was basically the reason they won the game. He kept the chains moving. He generated those big plays, scored touchdowns. I mean, this is a wide receiver who showed up in the biggest moment and did it without blinking. So I think Romo Dunze to me, well, you mentioned it with Emeka Buka a few podcasts ago, you know, having that clutch gene, it's hard to quantify with a wide receiver, but when you see it, you got to make note of it. And I think Adunze showed that on top of his physical talent. Uh, and I think that's why he's definitely moving up after that performance with Troy Franklin on the other side too. You know, I think the explosiveness, the speed, the versatility to be used in motions, right? You know, streak across the field and parse through zones. You know, that is very much a, a positive in his game that he can be schemed rack in the short range too. You know, I think you're looking at Adunze, probably a more complete three-level threat as a prospect because of that smooth athleticism, because of that, you know, full route tree, right? But I do think both guys have futures at the next level. I think it's just where you want to fit them in. And it just goes to show this wide receiver class is insane. And it's just going to continue to get like that. You know, it feels like every week too, we're seeing one or two more new names enter the early round conversation. I mean, we've seen guys like, you know, Roman Wilson, Xavier Leggett, you know, there's just so many, so many different prospects with high level traits. But this one was a clash between two Titans. And I, I was really happy to see both of them thrive because I think both of them have, you know, different skill sets, but you get them in the right spot and they're going to produce at the NFL level. I think Adunze, uh, Franklin, you know, like you said, it's pick your poison and poison. It's, it's going to be potent at the next level for sure. Mm-hmm. Speaking of this same game, potent, um, Bucky Irving. Yeah. Uh, when I watched him play, immediately, immediately, I thought of number 10 for Kansas City, seventh round pick, Isaiah Pacheco. Somebody who, you know, Pacheco is actually a lot bigger than I give him credit for. Uh, he looks slimmer, but I believe he's about 215. Yeah. And just somebody who runs incredibly angry. Is, is mad at the world. And they got into Bucky Irving's backstory a little bit during the game. But he just runs like a guy who is upset with every single member of the defense. His contact balance, his short area agility are, were both on full display in that game. He was a ton of fun to watch. And I have not studied him in depth. He is a junior. He is draft eligible. I don't know if he'll declare. But this is a, a young man who has got game he just is a baller. He's 5'10", 195, too, I think is what he's listed at, right? So you see him bouncing off tackles, churning through with that leg churn, that leg drive. I mean, it's just, it's size-defined because Pacheco is six, two, six foot 215. I mean, the dude is compact. Yeah. He is He's actually got mass, too, and you know he's very good at accelerating quickly. So you get that quick momentum, you get into crowds, and it's very tough to stall those guys out. Bucky Irving is 195 pounds. I mean, this is a guy who's, you know, that's not small by any means, but it's not big either, you know, especially going up defenders against defenders who, you know, 230 pound linebackers at the second level. 
you know, you don't expect him to maintain his center of gravity like he does. And I think part of it yeah. is just the anger, man. I don't know what it is because it seems like it almost defies physics and defies logic. And when you don't have that. Yeah, well, it's, yeah, it's, yeah. It's that, and that's what reminds me so much of Pacheco is that he just it, it is it's 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 physics defying because this is a guy he's obviously he's four inches shorter than me and three inches shorter than me. But he's we're the same size. We're we're both 195 pounds. That's that's pretty big. Like from a normal human being, that's pretty big. And when you look at an NFL player, and I think especially in the NFL today, when we look at it, linebackers are getting smaller. 215, 220, 230 pounds. There are very few 260-pound dudes anymore because they're just not fast enough to survive at the NFL level. So I do think that these 190-pound guys, especially if you can show that type of contact balance consistently, I think that you have a role at the next level. With Bucky, it'll probably be as a a you know third down back, somebody who is in a, a heavy rotation. He will probably not be a starter like Isaiah Pacheco because of that size. But I do think that he is a guy who, if he could pass protect, if he is a, a good pass catcher, is somebody who could get serious run because outside of that, even if it's third and seven, this is a dude who might break two or three tackles on a, a, a draw play and still pick up a first down when you weren't even trying to get a first down. Mm-hmm. So somebody who just has that kind of tenacity that you look for in a running back, especially an undersized running back, a ton of fun to watch him in that game. Another thing that I was really uh, impressed with from him is the vision too. Like this is a guy who's doing a lot of his work with those short creases in the middle of the field, right? Like he wasn't bouncing outside a ton. You know, he's really just slithering through the A gap and the B gap and just, you know, really just navigating through the second level really well, processing those tackling angles and and making guys miss and then capitalizing with that physicality. You know, the physicality is what finishes those runs and that's what shows up. But then he also starts out those runs really well, efficient footwork, great vision, great efficiency. Uh, with his, you know, paths, with his route paths. So I think looking at all of that too, that's just another great bedrock element of his game. So like you said, the size might keep him from being that true volume back in the next level, but it's a league of rotations nowadays. And if you get a guy with, like, with his contact balance, his explosiveness, change of direction, he's got some pass, uh, pass down utility as well, you know, that's going to be a great thing for him. And then we're going to continue to talk about this game because it was, so in my opinion, it was, it was my favorite game of the season yeah. so far. Before we get into the week eight slate, which should also be good, Michael Penix Jr., just just, just take a bow, young man, because you're somebody who has gone through, what is it, two or three season-ending injuries? I mean, it might be three, honestly. I know there was the knee, the shoulder. I mean, the guy has been... Yes. He's a warrior. He really is. And he, he, is. he was dealing with pain in this one, too. You could see it on his Big face. Time. Yeah, And he still brought his team to a major win. I mean, the, the implications of this win, I still haven't begun to completely realize them yet. I mean, this was an, a massive victory for Washington that only Panics could have gotten them, and he got it to them. I mean, the talent uh, is one thing, right? The arm talent, the arm strength, like like we talked about, the driving velocity. But, you know, like we've seen, like we said with Caleb Williams earlier, like it takes something extra to win as a quarterback in football. It takes the toughness, right? The competitive resolve, but then also the quick processing, the pocket operation ability. I mean, Penix has all of that. And then, you know, the toughness, the resolve to fight through pain 
and stay at 100% and stay productive too. I mean, he he, he yes. was in pain when he was, you know, taking the snap before in the huddle, but the moment he caught the ball in the in the pocket, you know, he still looked like himself. And it, it takes a a massive amount of physical, mental toughness, resilience to do that. And I think that that gets taken for granted sometimes in the in the evaluative process, but Penix showed it, man, in a in a big moment, a moment that you know it might not have gotten bigger than that. So that in itself was very impressive. The guy has the talent; he's got the tools for sure. But that's something extra. He showed that too, and I think that's um, you know you can't overlook that. That was that was his Heisman moment mm-hmm. easily. He won't be able to top that for the rest of the season because I don't know if anybody can top that moment for the rest of the season. He was in legitimate pain, and it was incredible to watch him gut through the pain and and it's not like this is a guy who his team was up by seven you know 14 21 points and he was turning around and handing the ball off no he was dropping back and passing and not just dropping back and passing but dropping back and passing and getting absolutely clocked still as he was already playing in yeah you've got 280 pound brandon doorless 290 pound jordan birch both of those guys i mean charging obliterated exactly he was getting obliterated by these guys. They were sending five. They were seven, sending six. They were really confusing, confusing that Washington offensive line with their pressures. And he was standing in there and taking shot after shot. And he faded away a couple of times and he missed a couple of throws that he probably shouldn't have missed. But he made the big throws when they absolutely mattered when he was in obvious pain. I mean, that, those ribs must have been absolutely just like Legos mm-hmm. by this point of the game, the way that he was getting hit. So uh, just just take a bow, Michael Penix Jr. If you continue to play good football for the rest of the season, you will run away with the Heisman Trophy, and there's a very good chance that your Washington Huskies are a, a very high seed in the college football playoffs. And now let's move on to Week 8 because I think the Big Ten might be playing uh, for Big Ten um superiority this week and and we still have to deal with michigan later but penn state ohio state and and these these two teams might be playing for number two in the big 10 i think if there's one team that could win it out of the three it it would be penn state and michigan i think ohio state with the quarterback play I, i just don't love that team as much overall but that doesn't mean that ohio state can't go out and win this football game i I'm just ready to see Kalen King, Marvin Harrison Jr. That's all I care about in this game. That's that's it. I don't care about anything else. You can talk about JT and Jack Sawyer up against Olu. Don't care. I want to see the cornerback and the wide receiver going off at each other every single play. It's going to be fun. It's going to be fun because Kalen King is a guy that we talked about, guy who always wants to smoke. I mean, 5'11", 190, but plays like he's three inches taller, right? He, he gets in your, he gets in your grill, right? He really suffocates you of any space to work. And I think that's the fun part because Marvin Harrison Jr. doesn't need space. I mean, that's the thing that we've talked about with him, 6'4", 205. And the dude is just a, an insane route runner for that size. I mean, you do not expect guys to be able to separate like he does. And his releases are insane too. Exactly. His hands are so good at the yeah. line of scrimmage. That, that's what I'm so excited this to see a guy in this game. ultra flexible, a technician, explosive. I mean, every box is checked physical, operational, and then Kalen King on the other side, a guy who is very efficient, exhaustive with his footwork, really fast feet, twitchy athlete, right? You know, I think the explosiveness, Harrison probably has a slight edge there and raw burst and speed, but I do think King has enough to stay vertical, right? So we'll see if he can if he can keep up with that, but that's going to be a great matchup, man. I think, you know, get two guys who 
you know, you've got the domineering physical specimen who's just the elite technician. And then you've got the other guy who's, you know, very well-rounded with his coverage looks. I mean, he can man you up and press. He can play his zone. He's got great route identification ability. He can tempo up his footwork and off man too and use that uh, targeted physicality to gather receivers. So it's going to be a great battle. I think both guys, obviously, Harrison has first round, uh, you know, early first round aspirations. I don't think he, he gets out of the top five, maybe not even the top three. But um, Kalen King is a guy who's, you know, Penn State hasn't been tested a ton this year yet. So I think this is the first time that we're really going to see him be challenged. But that entire secondary, you know, Kalen King, Johnny Dixon, Daquan Hardy in the slot has been very good too. So they will be tested by this Ohio State offense. That much is clear. Uh, but that's a heavyweight first-round matchup. Two guys who, you know, contrast each other a little bit. I think you can tell Harrison has the edge physically. But uh, Kalen King, a statement opportunity if he can take advantage of it. Yes, and I, I, we we are going to quickly talk about the other side of the ball as well because Olu is obviously a top five to seven prospect in this draft class, a, a freakish talent. I got to hand it to JT. JT, he's still not showing up consistently as a pass rusher, but he has been making plays against the run very recently specifically, and I want to see what he and Jack Sawyer are able to do as pass rushers and as run defenders on that left or on their right side against Olu in this game. Yeah, me too. I think um, it's going to be a fun one. I think the Ohio State defensive line has a real big chance to make a difference in this one because Jack Sawyer, JT Tuimolau, but then Michael Hall on the, in the interior. Middle. Yeah, Michael Hall is you know one of those violent, well-leveraged linemen. The torquing capacity that he has is very, very uh, appealing. And then Tyleek Williams too. I mean, this guy was mm-hmm. like 6'3", 315, 320. And he was lining up across from Joe Alt when they played Notre Dame and slabbing him in run defense, you know, stunting across alignments. So two guys who are very, very exciting with their profiles, Ty Hamilton as well. Uh, but I think, man, you know, you go to all three levels of each defense, there are prospects to watch in this one. Penn State, mm-hmm. you know, I think Chop Robinson and Adisa Isaac versus uh, Josh Simmons, the transfer tackle from Ohio State, who's actually played pretty well. He's a sleeper in this class. Uh, Curtis Jacobs going up against Cade Stover. Stover just had a really good week. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then that Ohio State secondary, uh, you got Denzel Burke, who's playing like a first rounder. He's going to play up against uh, Keandre Lambert Smith. Uh, so that'll be a fun one. Josh Proctor, who's kind of revitalized his stock this year, too. Uh, so every level that you go to, there are prospects to watch in this one. That's what makes it so fun. A little overwhelming because the, the talent density is so great, a lot to keep track of. But um, this is what you live for as as an evaluator. Two very talent-dense teams going head-to-head and prospect matchups on every single play, uh, and you get valuable information out of it. So, you know, prospects show the most when they are challenged, and a lot of guys are going to be challenged this week. Another good game, or should be a good game, is in the ACC. And we we have good Big Ten game this week. We have a good ACC game this week, and we have a good Pac-12 game this week. And the... The SEC is just, is the SEC down? I think the SEC is kind of down this year, which is annoying because I'm the one covering hey, The only them, thing that matters is Jaden Daniels is up. Slim Reaper is up. Yes, there we go. Slim Reaper, stock up. Uh, Duke and Florida State, two very good football teams. I, I think that when you look at it, obviously, Keon Coleman is the story here. Uh, Jordan Travis got banged up in the last game. Uh, looked like he is going to be okay. He came back and, and was able to play and, and didn't look too hampered by the injury. Um, I, I believe it was to his non-throwing shoulder or arm, something like that. Um, but do you think that Duke is going to be able to win this football game? 
think my indication is no, personally. I think uh, Riley Leonard, it depends on whether he goes back or not. I think the, our most recent update is that he has a chance at returning. He sat out last week, um, but he could play. And I think if he does, you know, the athleticism definitely is, is a plus for him. And we've seen him use that to create. Yeah, the, prob- the problem is coming back from an ankle yeah. injury like that in just a couple of weeks, that, that, that athleticism is probably not yeah. all going to be there, which is the, the big issue. And even if the athleticism is, is there, like the confidence too, right? You know, coming off, yeah. just coming off an ankle injury, probably don't want to rely on that so much, right? And he still needs to develop as a passer. You know, I think we've seen flashes this year, but he hasn't had a ton of chances to sustain that growth. So, you know, Florida State, they got Jared Verse, they got Patrick Payton. They've got some really good guys on the interior too. Braden Fist, uh, Fabian Lovett, Joshua Farmer, who's a redshirt sophomore that I really like. Uh, they got Kalen DeLoach and Tatum Bethune, two really hard-charging linebackers who can just fly into the backfield. And then they've got some talent in the secondary too. So, you know, Florida State is a well-coached team, again, with a ton of NFL talent. I think they outmatched Duke pretty safely in this one uh, because even if Leonard is back, he's going to be dealing with that injury. But, you know, it is going to be a good test for that Duke team to see if they can at least compete because that Clemson game, that Clemson win was a statement for them. And I think they proved that they can at least go toe-to-toe with these kinds of teams. Uh, but if Leonard is there, you know, you don't want to see him re that injury, right? Just hoping he stays healthy. But, you know, if he can prove, if he is there, if he decides to play and wants to try and make an impact, if he changes the, the, the complexion of the game to a level where Duke does keep it close because of his competitive toughness permeating to his teammates, right? You know, making those plays that those ultimate competitors make, uh, evaluators will take notice. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. But I think Florida State has the edge in this one. And the next game and last game we're going to talk about, USC and Utah. And quickly, I would like to bring up Sion Vaki, who is a safety who ran for, what, 158 yards or something like that last week as a running back. It just, you're never going to hear about this in the NFL. And this is what makes college football so fantastic. A, A guy who... Not planning on going two ways, but having to go two ways and having an absolute day at the office in the backfield. That was the best story of last week. I think Tez Walker coming back and having a huge game against a good football team was really big. But Sion Vaki had the week of all weeks last week. I believe he also had something like four tackles um, in the game as well. But I'm really looking forward to... This defense, Cole Bishop, going up against Caleb Williams. Are they going to do the Pac-12 thing and kind of sit back and play coverage against Caleb Williams? Or are they going to push the envelope, rush four, five, six guys at a time, play tight coverage behind or play fire zones behind and make Caleb Williams beat you by getting the ball out quickly? I'm so fascinated to see if these Pac-12 defenses change the way that they defend USC after this Notre Dame game. Yeah, I think so too. And I think, you know, Utah has the the players that they need to to put pressure on Williams if they want to. You mentioned it, Cole Bishop, another guy who you can get him to attack downhill and he gets downhill quick. He's very good at combating blocks and getting into the backfield. And then Jonah Ellis at edge, right? This is a guy who mm-hmm. I think is one of the sack leaders so far this year. Uh, a guy who's, you know, 6'2", 250, a little bit lighter but the bend, the acceleration around the apex, those are traits that are really impressive from him. And he's the kind of he, he's exactly the kind of edge rusher 
not like it's different from Jordan Birch and Brandon Dorless. Those were guys who just really just shorten, not shorten the corner, but just kind of you know collapse the pocket with their power. The Jonah Ellis is a guy who can really tighten those pursuit angles. So if you're Caleb Williams and you're trying to get out the back door, trying to you know flush out to the left, you know he can take away those lateral pathways for you. So you know that's going to be a challenge for Caleb Williams. Maybe Ellis flushes him out and Bishop is the spy. Uh, we'll see. But I think Utah has the players that they need to match up with that. So for Caleb Williams, the name of the game is going to be keep your eyes up and know where your outlets are. Because Utah's corners, Zamaya Vaughn, uh, Travis Broughton, you know, they're good, but uh, they can be susceptible to, you know, comebacks, curls, you know, breaks. I, I feel like they've been a little bit vulnerable in those kind of situations. So you have receivers who can separate. Brendan Rice can use his physicality. Mario Williams, you got Dorian Singer, Taj Washington. You know, you have guys who can win one-on-one -on -one against these corners. So I think Caleb Williams, the name of the game is going to be last week when you were pressured and when you were flushed out, you made a bad situation worse by trying to force the ball. Know where your outlets are. Know where the optimal decision is. Stay patient, stay disciplined, and go with that. If he can show that growth week to week, because Utah's defense is another very well-coached, fast-flowing defense. Uh, so if he can show that growth against a comparable opponent, that'll be a good thing for him, right? And if, if he has another bad game, because he's kind of had you know two rough games now, Arizona the week before, if he has another bad game, it's not going to be the end of the world. Again, you know, I think he's established enough that he is going to be a top five pick no matter what, top three pick no matter what. It's just a matter of who goes first, him or May. But, um, you know, I do think it would be reassuring to see him show growth after last week and, you know, directly apply what you learned in that tough outing and, and step forward and grow from it. So we'll see if he can, but the conditions are ripe for another high-pressure environment for Williams. And the, the key for him is, can he be disciplined? Can he be composed? And can he start to take steps forward from that? So I'm hoping we see that. Utah is going to put the pressure on him at multiple levels. And um, it's going to be a great game again. So we'll see what happens with the Pac-12. Like you said, has a habit of Pac-12ing and just making mm -hmm. making it a lot more complicated than it needs to be. But um, you know, I'm excited for that one for sure. You brought up Jonah Ellis and... Jonah Ellis has nine sacks so far in 2023. So he's having himself a season. If anybody thinks Jonah Ellis, is that name familiar for some reason? Yes, it is because he has three older brothers. All three of them played in the NFL. One of them is a very good player in the NFL. I, I say very good player. He's a plus starter in the NFL. That would be Caden Ellis, who, uh, you know, plays a little bit of off-ball linebacker, plays a little bit of pass rusher, was really good for the New Orleans Saints and is now with the Atlanta Falcons. Um, so Noah or Jonah, I'm sorry. I got the wrong, I got the wrong professional football playing brother. No, Jonah Ellis, uh, a, a likely NFL player at, at you know, at, at the next level, seeing as his three older brothers were and his three older brothers all went to Idaho and he ended up at Utah. So probably the highest ranking recruit out of the three brothers as well. But that is all we have for you guys today. Ian, I assume we'll be back in his normal yes. spot next week. Yeah. Um, but I am glad that he got to, to go out on a little bit of a day trip, go hiking a little bit um, and see the scenery. It is good for the soul. It is good for the body and the mind. As always, guys, thank you for listening. And always remember that I love you. Goodbye. Goodbye.